We're going to be learning in Chidush Rabbeinu Chaim HaLevi, the fourth piece in Halchus Tumas Meis. This is Perak Yud Aleph, Halacha Hey. And Rab Chaim is picking up on themes from the previous piece, but he's going to discuss a different aspect of the whole issue, which is Ohel Zaruk, a moving Ohel, and how that differs from a regular Ohel. So in general, if someone is in the same room as a dead body, so the Tumma permeates throughout that room and they become Tameh. But if they're on top of that room, so the room blocks the Tumah from going up and they're Tahor. So a regular structure both blocks the Tumah from leaving and permeates the Tumah throughout it. But a moving Ohel works differently. So Rab Chaim is going to explain the details of that. The Rambam writes, If someone enters into Eretz Ha'amim, they leave Eretz Yisrael in a box that's traveling, because a moving Ohel is not considered an Ohel. So the person who enters the airspace of Eretz Ha'amim in this moving box is not considered in an Ohel, so the box does not protect them, so therefore they're Tamei. So this comes from the Gemara Nazir Nundalid, the Gemara wonders whether the reason there's Tuma in the airspace of Eretz Ha'amim is because of an independent decree on the Avir, on the airspace itself, or because the person is in Ohel, they're hovering over the land, and there's Tuma coming up from the land. So the Gemara suggests that this issue is a debate between Rebbe and Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yehuda. If someone goes into Eretz Ha'amim in a box, so there's a debate between Rebbe and Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yehuda, whether they're Tameh or Tahor. So the Gemara suggests that Rebbe, who says they're Tameh, is because there's an independent decree on the Avir, on the airspace itself. So that's why they're Tameh. Whereas Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yehuda holds the Tumah comes from the land. So in general, they would be Tameh because of Ohel, but if they're in a box, so then the box protects them, so that's why they're Tahar. So then the Gemara counters the Kulialma Mishum Gusha. Maybe in fact everybody holds that the Tumah comes from the land, and the debate is over the issue of Ohel Zaruk Shmei Ohel, whether a moving Ohel is considered an Ohel. So Rebbe holds that it's not an Ohel, therefore the person is hovering over the land, they're not protected by the box. So they're Tameh. And according to Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Yudah, they're protected by the box. So they're Tahor. So then the Gemara says, Vahatanya. There's a brisa that relates to this. Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Yehuda, Omer Teva, Shimalea, Kalem, Mizark, Alpneha, Mace, Ba'ohel, Tameya. Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Yehuda says that if there's a box filled with vessels and someone throws it over a dead body in an Ohel, so everything in the box, all of those vessels are Tameh. Vim Haisa Munachas, but if the box was stationary, then everything in the box is so the box will protect the vessels if it's stationary. So then the Gemara says, Ella de Kuli Alma, rather everybody, both Rebbe and Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yehuda, hold its Mishum Tumas Avir. So this is the first version of the Gemara. And according to this version, the Vihatanya was a question. It meant, how can we say that Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yehuda, holds that an Ohel Zaruk is considered an Ohel when there's a Brisa that contradicts that? So the Gemara backed off from that interpretation and it suggests a different approach to understand Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yehuda's opinion. Now, the second version of the Gemara comes from Rabbeinu Hananel, and he says, Not that the Gemara is backing off from the first interpretation, but it's suggesting an alternative interpretation, but either of them is possible. So according to Rabbeinu Hananel, the Vihatanya was not a question, but it was a support. So the Gemara brought support to the view that Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yehuda holds in Ohel Zaruk is a valid Ohel from the Brisa. 
And then the Gemara suggested that there's another way to interpret Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Yehuda's opinion, but it's not that the first one is contradicted by the Brisa. So those are the two different versions of this Gemara. Now, Tosos explains both versions of the Gemara, and that is that there's basically three cases of an Ohel Zaruk, a moving Ohel. One is when it's actually in the midst of moving through the air. So let's say someone takes a box and throws it somewhere. So while it's moving through the air, that's certainly not in Ohel. And as we'll see, there's an explicit Mishnah in the eighth chapter of Ohelos to that effect. On the other extreme is if someone takes a box, which ordinarily could be moved, but it's now just sitting on the ground. So it's absolutely not moving at all. So everyone agrees that that's going to be an Ohel. The question is in the middle case, let's say someone takes that box and puts it in a car or they put it on an animal and now it's being moved, but it's not actually moving. So the box itself is stationary, but it's lying on something which is traveling. Is that considered an Ohel or not? So that's how Tosvos sets it up and that's how he explains the interpretation of Rabbeinu Hananel that the Brisa supports the view that Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yehuda holds that a moving Ohel is considered an Ohel because the Brisa has two cases. The first is when the box is actually moving with the vessels inside and at that point the Brisa says it's not considered an Ohel and all of the vessels inside are Tameh. The second case is when the box is Munah it's lying on something. So according to Rabbi Nuchananel, that refers not to the other extreme where the box is not moving at all, but where it's lying on an animal or a person and it's being moved. So the box itself is not moving, but the person it's lying on is moving. So the fact that Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yehuda holds, it's still considered an ohel and it protects the vessels inside, that reinforces the idea that he holds an ohel zaruk is considered an Ohel. But again, according to Rabbeinu Hananel, even though Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yehuda holds a moving Ohel is an Ohel, that's only when it's resting on something else which is moving it. But if it itself is flying through the air, then that would certainly not be an Ohel, even according to Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yehuda. And this is an explicit Mishnah in Olos chapter 8, where the Mishnah says that if there's a cloth flying through the air, or a bird flying through the air, or a boat traveling on the water, so something is in the midst of moving, it's not considered an ohel, it does not permeate the tumma throughout, and it also does not block the tumma. So it seems like an explicit Mishnah that everyone's going to agree with that a moving ohel while it's moving is not an ohel. Now the other version of the Gemara concludes from this same Brisa, the exact opposite, that Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yehuda holds an ohel zaruk is not considered an ohel, and that's from the first case of the Brisa, which says that if someone throws a box over over a dead body, the vessels inside are tame. So that's based on the view in Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yehuda, that a moving ohel is not considered an ohel, so it doesn't protect the vessels inside. Now, according to this approach, so the second case of the brisa, where the box is stationary and the vessels inside are tahor, so the box does protect the vessels, that's talking about where the box is not moving at all, it's just sitting on the ground totally stationary, not that it's on someone who's moving it, but the box is not moving in any way. So that's why it's considered an ohel, even according to Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yehuda. Because again, everybody agrees that even if something is theoretically movable, if right now it's sitting there totally not moving at all, then it's certainly considered an ohel. So those are the two different approaches how to interpret this brisa, and the conclusion is the opposite. According to Rabbi Nuchanan, Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yehuda holds a moving ohel is considered 
word in Ohel, whereas according to the other interpretation, Rabbi Yossi Rabbi Yehuda holds a moving Ohel is not considered an Ohel. Now, even though Tosos explains both approaches, but he sides with Rabbeinu Hananel's interpretation, because the Gemara in Erevin Lamed and Chagiga Chavhei explains the debate between Rebbe and Rabbi Yossi Rabbi Yehuda is over Ohel Zaruk, whether it's considered an Ohel. Now, according to Rabbeinu Hananel, it makes sense to explain their debate in that way, because there is a Brisa which supports that reading. But according to the other interpretation, which is Rashi on Nazir, but that Rashi is not really Rashi, so Rab Chaim calls him the Mefaresh, the commentator. According to the other interpretation of the Mefaresh, so the Brisa explicitly contradicts the approach that Rebbe and Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yehuda are debating whether a moving Ohel is an Ohel or not. So how could the Gemara and Erevin and Chagiga assume that that's a valid interpretation of their debate when there's a Brisa which explicitly contradicts that and says that Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yehuda holds a moving Ohel is not considered an Ohel. So the fact that the Gemara elsewhere assumes that Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yehuda holds a moving Ohel is considered an Ohel goes against the Mefarish's interpretation of the Brisa and that follows the view of Rabbeinu Hananel. So that's why Tosos sides with Rabbeinu Hananel's interpretation. Now, the Rambam explicitly writes when he codifies this halacha, haporchin be'avir, that the box is currently moving through the air. So the Rambam very clearly interprets this case, like the Mefarish, that the debate between Rebbe and Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yehuda, is even when the box is currently moving, not only when it's just sitting on an animal and being moved, but even when the box itself is thrown through the air, according to Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yehuda, that's also considered considered an Ohel, and Rebbe disagrees with that, because that's how the Rambam codifies this whole case. So that's like the Mefarish, not like Rabbeinu Hananel, that if the box itself is moving, everybody agrees that it's not considered an Ohel. So the Rambam reads the Gemara like the Mefarish, which now raises the question that Tosfos asked on that interpretation, why does the Gemara elsewhere assume that Rabbi Yossi Rabbi Yehuda holds a moving Ohel is considered an Ohel, if there is a Brisa which explicitly contradicts that and quotes Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yehuda saying that if someone throws a box filled with vessels over a dead body, everything in the box is tame because it's not considered an ohel. So how does the Rambam make sense of that brisa now if he interprets like the Gemara in Erevin and Chagiga that Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yehuda disagrees even in the case of a moving box that it's considered a valid ohel. So in order to answer this, Rab Chaim goes to the other big question on the Rambam and the Mefarish's interpretation of the Gemara, which Tosos also raised, which is how can they say that Rabbi Yossi Rabbi Yehuda holds a moving box is considered an Ohel even while it's moving when the Mishnah in Olos explicitly contradicts that and says that a bird or a piece of cloth or a boat that are moving are not considered an Ohel. And that seems to be the opinion of everybody. So how is it possible to say that Rabbi Yossi Rabbi Rabbi Yehuda disagrees in the case of a moving box. So Rab Chaim says that according to the Rambam, there's actually another middle case. According to Tosvos, the spectrum is on one end, a box that's actually moving. On the other end, if the box is lying on the ground. And in the middle is where the box is being moved on top of a person or an animal. According to the Rambam, there's a different case in the middle, which is that the box is in the air. It's not being carried or held by anything, but it's not 
not moving. So that would be like a helicopter. I'm not sure what the case would have been a thousand years ago, but nowadays we would say that a helicopter can hover in the air without resting on anything and without moving at that moment. Now, there is a case that would be similar to this in Halacha, which is a boat which is docked on top of the water. So again, that's not moving, but it's not considered resting on something because the water has the status of air. So the Mishnah in Olos chapter 8 says that that would depend on the issue of Ohel Zaruk. So that would be the same case that the Rambam is talking about, something which is hovering in the air, but it's not actually moving at that moment. So that also depends on the issue of Ohel Zaruk. So that's how the Rambam understands this issue, that if the object is actually resting at that moment, then of course it's considered an Ohel. And the total other side of the spectrum is when the box is actually in motion, it's certainly not considered an Ohel. Everyone agrees to those two extremes, but in the middle is the case of something which is hovering in the air and not actually moving. There, there's the debate between Rebbe and Rebbe Yossi, Rebbe Yehuda, whether Ohel Zaruk is considered an Ohel or not. So that's what the Rambam means when he says Porchin, that it's in the air but it's not moving, but that doesn't contradict the Mishnah in Olos that says that an object that's actually in motion is not considered an Ohel. Now Reb Chaim explains why the Rambam does not agree with Tosos' explanation of Rabbeinu Hananel, because the Rambam holds that if an object is being carried by a person or an animal, that cannot be part of the debate between Rebbe and Rebbe Yossi, Rebbe Yehuda, over Ohel Zaruk, because the halacha in both of those cases is clear. The Mishnah at the beginning of chapter 6 of Olo says that if four people are carrying an object, so Tumah Tachtav Kalim Shal Gabav Tameyin. If there's Tumah underneath the object, anything above the object is still Tameyin. So it's very clear that if people are carrying an object, it is not considered an Ohel, and that doesn't seem to be a debate. Then the Mishnah says that if it's al-davr shiyeshbo ruach if the object is being carried by an animal, so it's resting on an animal, so then if there's tumah under the object, the vessels on top of that object are tahor. So again, it's very clear that if an object is being carried on the back of an animal, it is considered an ohel. So there doesn't seem to be a debate about either of these cases if a person is carrying an object or if an animal is carrying an object. And likewise, the Mishnah in para paragraph Gimel Mishnah Beis says that there were kids they wanted to keep Tahor and make sure that they never came in contact with Tumah. So the way they would travel was on doors that were resting on cows. So again, it's clear that if there's an Ohel which is resting on an animal, that is considered a valid Ohel, and that seems to be across the board. So there does not seem to be a debate between Rebbe and Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yehuda, in the case of an Ohel being carried by an animal. Everyone seems to agree that that's an Ohel. And the flip side is, if it's carried by a person, everyone seems to agree that that's not an Ohel. So there is a question on Tosvos who says that Rebbe and Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yehuda are debating the case of an object resting on a person or an animal from these Mishnahs, which seem to say that they're settled halacha and nobody disagrees with it. And Tosvos and Erevin Lamed Aleph asks this. So because of that, the Rambam came up with a new case. He does not understand, like Tosvos, that the debate is in the case where it's resting on an animal. But according to the Rambam, there's a new case in the middle, which is that the object is hovering. It's not resting on anything. It's in the air, but it's not in motion at that moment. So that's how Rab Chaim explains the Rambam's approach to understanding this debate in the Gemara.
So now, given this interpretation of the Rambam, that he also holds that there are three separate cases here. One is where it's resting. One is where it's actually in motion. And there's a third case in the middle where it's hovering but not in motion. So now the Rambam's interpretation could also fit in with Rabbeinu Hananel. Originally, Rab Chaim was saying that the Rambam has to hold like the Mefaresh because the Rambam does not hold that we're talking about where it's resting on an animal. But now he's saying that the Rambam could hold like Rabbeinu Hananel which makes sense because the Rambam comes from the school of Rabbeinu Hananel. So he probably had a similar interpretation of this Gemara. And the way the Rambam interprets Rabbeinu Hananel's girsa is that there's a distinction between the case where the box is actually in motion, which is certainly not in Ohel, versus when it's in the air, but it's not in motion, it's just hovering, which would be the debate between Rebbe and Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yehuda over Ohel Zaruk. So that could fit in with Rabbeinu Hananel's girsa, just like Tosos makes a distinction between Rebbe resting on an animal versus actually in motion, the Rambam too has a distinction between actually in motion versus hovering in the air. So now the lingering question is going to be on the Mefaresh, who does understand clearly that the debate between Rebbe and Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yehuda, is talking about a box which is currently in motion. So how does that not contradict the Mishnah in Olos that says that something in motion is definitely not an Ohel, and everyone agrees to that? So Rab Chaim introduces a very important halachic distinction to explain this, which is that an Ohel has two halachas. One is that it prevents the Tumah from going further out. So let's say there's a dead body in a house. The Tumah does not penetrate through the roof. So anyone standing on the roof would be Tahor because the roof blocks the Tumah from going further. So that's one function of an Ohel, that it blocks the Tumah from going out. The second function is that it brings the Tumah throughout the entire house. So wherever someone's standing under the same roof as the dead body, even if they're not directly on top of it or directly in contact with it, they're still Tameh because the Tumah permeates throughout the entire Ohel. Says Rab Chaim, this distinction is going to be the difference between the object in motion, which is not an Ohel at all, versus the Ohel Zaruk. Something which is in motion, the Mishnah in Olo says that it has no status of Ohel at all, meaning it doesn't permeate the Tumah throughout its object, and it doesn't block the Tumah from going further. So it has none of the functions of an Ohel. As opposed to an Ohel Zaruk, even though it doesn't block the Tumah from going further, so it doesn't protect the person on top of the box, but it does permeate the Tumah throughout. Because the Mishnah at the beginning of all those chapter 16 says that if a farmer is walking over a dead body, carrying a Mardeya, like a harness, something that he uses for the animal, and that Mardeya has a tefach of space, so it does permeate the Tumah throughout, and anything under the Mardeya would become Tameh. And the Gemara in Shabbos Yudzayin says that that that's a Torah law, Mida Oraisa. So you see very clearly that even though the farmer is walking and he's carrying this Mardeya, anything which is under the Mardeya becomes Tameh because the Mardeya permeates the Tumah throughout, even though, as our Gemara says, it's an Ohel Zaruk, so it would not block the Tumah from going further. So we see that an Ohel Zaruk 
is not totally deficient as an ohel. It does serve one of the functions of ohel, that it permeates the tumah, but it's not a full ohel because it doesn't block the tumah. And the reason for this distinction is because an object that's just soaring through the air is not considered a tent in halacha at all. So that's why it has none of the functions of an ohel, because in no way is this object flying through the air considered to be ma'ahil, to be resting on top of the dead body. So it's not chotzeit, it doesn't block the tuma, and it's not maybe, it doesn't permeate the tuma. It's not considered an ohel in any way. As opposed to an ohel zaruk, which is a moving ohel that's resting on something, so even though it's in motion, it still is practically an ohel. It is on top of the dead body. Now, it's not a full ohel because it's moving, so it's a deficient ohel. Since there's a deficiency, so that's why it's not chotzeitz, it can't block and protect people from the tumah because this is not a full ohel that halacha says it stops the tumah from going further. But it does permeate the tumah because for all practical purposes, there is some sort of covering which includes the dead body and any other object which is under it. So since those objects or people were under the same roof as a dead body, even though it was a deficient ohel because it was moving so it's not a full ohel, but practically they were under the same roof as a dead body and therefore they all become tummy. So that's the explanation for the difference between an object just soaring in the air, which the Mishnah says we don't consider an ohel a covering in any way, as opposed to a moving ohel, which is considered some sort of a covering, but it's a deficient ohel because it's moving. So now continuing with this line of thought, Rab Chaim raises the following question. What happens in a case where a box is soaring through the air? So as we said, according to the Mishnah, that's not an ohel at all. But what happens if that box is fully sealed up on all sides? So whatever's in the box would also have the status of an ohel. So let's say there's a dead body with other things in the box and it's soaring through the air. Is it considered an ohel inside of the box? Or once we say that underneath the box is not an ohel because it's a moving object, so inside the box is also not an ohel. So is inside the box equivalent to what's underneath the box in terms of this halacha that's something that's soaring through the air is not considered an ohel. So says Rab Chaim very brilliantly that this issue is going to depend on the distinction that he just developed. If the problem with this soaring box is that it's not considered an ohel at all because it's just flying through the air, so that would not apply to what's inside of it because with regards to the objects that are inside the box, it is considered an ohel. The whole problem with the soaring object is that it's not considered to be covering the things that it's flying over. So that's why it's not considered an ohel for any objects underneath it. But the objects that are inside the sealed box, in regards to those, it's not just soaring over them. There it is a real steady ohel. So for the objects inside the sealed box, it would be considered a valid ohel. But the other issue of ohel zaruk is going to apply both underneath the box as well as inside the box. So if you hold that ohel zaruk is not a valid ohel, that's going to undermine not only things that are under the flying box, but even things inside the flying box. Because even though the box is sealed, so it's considered an ohel with regards to anything inside of it, but it's still a 
moving ohel. So it has the deficiency of a moving ohel. We can't say that it's not considered a covering at all. It is considered a covering, but it's still a deficient covering because it's moving. So according to the view that ohel zaruk does not block tumah, even the sealed box is not going to block tumah for what's inside of it, not only for what's underneath it. So basically, this distinction that Rab Chaim developed is now going to make a difference with regards to what's inside the sealed box. Because the first issue that a flying object is not considered a covering does not apply inside the box, but the issue of Ohel Zaruk does apply inside the box. So if we're determining the status of objects inside of a sealed flying box, that's going to depend on Ohel Zaruk, not on the halacha that flying objects are not considered an Ohel at all. So now, says Rab Chaim very brilliantly, this is going to answer the question that he asked on the Gemara. The Gemara compares the case of a box which is thrown that has vessels inside of it to the case of Ohel Zaruk. And likewise, based on that, the Rambam compares the case where someone travels into Chutzla Aretz inside of a box to the case of Ohel Zaruk. But the question was that the Mishnah explicitly said that a flying object is not considered an Ohel according to anyone. So how could the Gemara and the Rambam imply that Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yehuda holds that this is a valid Ohel? Says Rab Chaim, the case in the Brisa with a box flying through the air with vessels in it is talking talking about a case of a box in the same room as a dead body. So the only way that box could protect the vessels inside of it is if it's fully sealed on all sides. If it's open at all, then it doesn't matter whether it's an ohel or not because the vessels are going to be tame because they were in the same room as a dead body. So it's definitely a sealed box. Likewise, the case of the Rambam where a person goes into Chutzla Aretz in a box also has to be a sealed box because the Rambam in this chapter rules that there's a separate decree on the airspace of Chutzla Aretz. So if the box is open on top, then the air itself is going to make the person Tameh regardless of whether it's an Ohel. So the Rambam's case has to be where the box is totally sealed and that's where it depends whether it's considered an Ohel to protect the person from the Tumah underneath them. So now having shown that the case in the Bryce and the case in the Rambam have to be referring to fully sealed boxes, so now Rab Chaim asks a very strong question. Why doesn't the halacha of Tzamir Psil, which means any box which is totally enclosed and sealed up, protects all the contents inside from Tumah? So even if this flying box is not considered an Ohel, but it's certainly a Tzamir Psil, the Mishnah in Kalim at the beginning of chapter 10, explicitly includes the case of an enclosed wooden box that it's considered tzamid psil. And that's exactly the case of Sheda Tevo Migdal. These are enclosed wooden boxes. So even if it's not considered an ohel because it's soaring through the air, but at least it should be tzamid psil. And for that halacha, it doesn't matter at all whether it's stationary or whether it's moving. It's irrelevant to the halacha of tzamid psil. So why doesn't this box protect the contents inside of it, even if Ohel Zaruk is not an Ohel, because of the halacha, the protection of Tzamid Pesil? 
So Rab Chaim answers that even though this box is enclosed even on top, but it's not like glued and totally connected. It just has a covering on top of it, but it's not sealed in a way that it can't be broken. The cover could just be lifted right off. So that's not considered tzamid pasil. In order to be included in that halacha, it would have to be glued or connected much more strongly. It can't just be a cover that's put on top. So that's why the issue is whether it's an ohel zaruk, because Tzamid Pasil does not apply in this case. So if Ohel Zaruk is a valid Ohel, then it will protect the objects inside. If it's not a good Ohel, so then it won't protect them. So that's why the whole issue depends on Ohel Zaruk. But what we're dealing with is the objects that are inside of the box. We're not dealing with things that are under the box because those things that it's just flying over, it's certainly not considered an Ohel. The whole issue of the Brysa is whether the box protects the things inside side of it, because even though this flying object is certainly not considered a cover for the things that are under it, because that's what the Mishnah said, that a flying object is not considered an ohel at all for things under it. But the issue of the brysa is not the objects under the box, it's the objects inside the closed box. So with regard to those objects, it is considered at least a covering because it's an enclosed box that covers everything inside of the box. But it is still a deficient Ohel because it's moving. So that's exactly the situation of Ohel Zaruk. So that's why the issue of whether the objects inside of this moving box are tame or not depends on whether an Ohel Zaruk is considered a valid Ohel. So now, says Rab Chaim, that is going to explain the interpretation of the Mefarish in this Gemara, as well as the Rambam who says that the case is talking about a box which is moving, even though the box with the vessels in it or the box with the person in it, are in the process of moving. And the Mishnah said that any flying object is not considered an ohel according to everybody, but that Mishnah is only talking about objects beneath the flying object. There it's not considered a cover at all. But the case of the Mefarish and the Rambam are where the objects are inside of the box. So in that case, it is considered an ohel, but since it's moving, it's considered an ohel zaruk. So that explains how they would answer this question that why doesn't the Gemara contradict the Mishnah in Olos that says that a moving object is not an Ohel? The answer is that the Mishnah is talking about things underneath the flying object, whereas the Gemara is discussing objects inside of the flying box. So now at this point, it sounds like the Rambam is back in the Mefarish's camp. He interprets the Gemara like him because he too is comparing the case of the flying box with the case of the Sheda Tevo Migdal, unlike Rabbeinu Hananel who differentiates between them. But Rab Chaim now turns to explain Rabbeinu Hananel's approach better, and that is how could Rabbeinu Hananel deny what Rab Chaim's saying now because he says that the case of the flying box, whether it protects the vessels inside of it or not, is like the case of the Mishnah that a flying object is not considered an ohel at all. But Rab Chaim just showed that those are two different cases because the Mishnah is referring not to what's inside of the object, but to what's underneath it. So how can Rabbeinu Hananel compare that to the case of the box, whether it protects the things inside of it? So Rab Chaim explains that according to Rabbeinu Hananel, the side of the box, which is not sealed or glued, so that's what prevents it from applying the protection of Tzamid Pseel. So according to the Rambam, 
Rambam, Reb Chaim, had assumed that the side which is not glued is the top side, but the bottom is a regular box. Says Reb Chaim, according to Rabbeinu Hananel, the case would have to be where it's the bottom side, which is just the covering, but it's not glued. So that's what prevents the tzamid seal. Now, since ohel only is things that are underneath the object, there can't be an ohel by being under an object, as the Rambam explicitly writes in Hilchus Tumas Meis Perek Chav Halacha Vav. So the objects inside of the box, which are not considered tzamid seal from the bottom of the box, are now in ohel over the dead body that they're flying over. So the only way to protect those objects is if we consider the bottom side of the box to be an ohel, then it could protect the objects which are on top of it. But if the bottom is not considered an ohel, so then it won't protect the objects inside of it, even though it is considered an ohel zaruk with regard to the rest of the box. Because forget about the fact that these objects are in a box, they're also passing directly over a dead body. So the regular laws of Ohel apply to the object itself, and the only way to protect it would be if the bottom side of the box is considered an Ohel, but that's exactly the equivalent of the case in the Mishnah, that a flying object is not considered an Ohel to protect things on top of it. So that's why Rabbeinu Hananel assumes that those two cases are exactly the same, because the case of the flying box, whether it protects the objects inside of it, means does the bottom side of the box protect objects? which are on top of it and block them from the tumah that they're passing over. And that's exactly the same issue of the Mishnah that a flying object is not considered a cover and it does not protect objects on top of it. So that's why Rabbeinu Hananel says that the case of the box in the Brisa does not depend on Ohel Zaruk because it's a clear-cut halacha in the Mishnah that everyone agrees that that would not be considered a valid Ohel and it would not protect the vessels which are on top of it. So that's how Rab Chaim explains the interpretation of Rabbeinu Hananel, and then he points out that according to this understanding of Rabbeinu Hananel, the Rambam is back in Rabbeinu Hananel's camp, so he could interpret the Gemara the same as Rabbeinu Hananel. According to the Rambam, the case of Sheda Tevo Migdal is where the box is sealed, it's glued on the bottom, and the covering that's lacking the glue is on top, so that's why it depends on Ohel Zaruk, because there is something blocking from the bottom of the box between the objects and the dead body itself, which is the Tzamid Psil side of the box. Now on top of the box, there's just an Ohel, it's not Tzamid Psil, so that's why it depends on the issue of Ohel Zarok. But that's the case of Sheda Tevo Migdal, as opposed to the case of the Brisa, where in that box, the side that's missing the Tzamid Psil is on the bottom, so there's no glue in the covering on the bottom. So in that case, the objects themselves are in Ohel over the dead body, and the only thing that could protect them would be the bottom side of the box, but that's a flying object, so that would not be an ohel in any way. So according to the Rambam, even though in the case of Sheda Tevo Migdal, it depends on ohel zaruk, but in the box of the Brisa's case, it does not. It's the same as the Mishnah in Olos, that a flying object is not considered an ohel at all. And the Rambam is able to interpret the Gemara, same as Rabbeinu Hananel. So at the end of Rab Chaim's analysis, the Rambam could either interpret the Gemara like the Mefarish or Rabbeinu Hananel. He's not boxed into either one. And it's not going to have a practice 
practical distinction because in either case, the Rambam holds that if the top side of the box is not glued, then it depends on Ohel Zaruk. If the bottom side of the box is not glued, so then everyone agrees that this is not an Ohel and it doesn't protect the objects inside. And the issue, the difference between the two interpretations would depend on whether in the box case of the Brisa, the non-glued side is on top or on the bottom. Now in the third paragraph, Rab Chaim suggests an alternative approach to explain Rabbi Nuchananel, and this is based on a key conceptual distinction between the protection of Tzamid Psil versus the protection of an Ohel. Tzamid Psil, says Rab Chaim, he al tocho, it protects whatever's inside of this enclosed container. And that's the key protection of that leniency that anything inside a sealed container is tahor. It does not get affected by the Tomas Mace. As opposed to an Ohel, Ikar Dinohu Din Chatzitza, which is a block. It creates a Chatzitza, which blocks between the Tomas Mace and the object that's being protected. It protects the place by differentiating it from the dead body. So the Ohel creates a barrier between the dead body and the space, which is now going to be Tahor and not affected by the Tuma. The Tuma is not able to get beyond the Ohel. So Tzamid Pasi protects objects which are in the enclosed container that the tuma is not able to penetrate inside of the container. And Ohel is a block that creates a barrier and it sections off one space from the tuma's mace so the tuma is not able to penetrate beyond where the Ohel is blocking off. And the proof for this is the Mishnah in the ninth chapter of Olos, which deals with the Kaveres, a bucket. And the Mishnah rules that Kaveres Shimunachas Let's say there's a bucket which is sealed, so it's a tsumid seal case, and it's in the doorway, and there's tuma either on top of it or below it. So the Mishnah rules above and below the bucket is tame. So in a case of tsumid seal where there's tuma, the tuma goes around the bucket, and below and above are tame. Now, if this would not be tsumid seal, so Let's say this was a very large bucket, so it could hold 40 sa, or if there was a hole in it. So it's not a tzamid psil, but it is an ohel. So then the tuma does not go around. If the tuma is underneath it, so then kenegda aratahom tame, the tuma goes all the way down. And if the tuma is on top of it, then kenegda adlarakia tame, then the tuma goes all the way up. So we see from this Mishnah a very basic distinction that when it comes to tzamid psil, it doesn't block or stop the tuma from progressing. It only protects what's inside of that container, but the tuma goes all the way up and down. So that's the essential concept of tzamid psil, that it protects whatever's inside this container, but it doesn't stop the tuma from traveling at all. Once it becomes an ohel, so at that point it totally blocks the tuma and it stops it from progressing any further. So there's a basic distinction between an ohel versus a tzamid psil. Now, using this key conceptual difference, so Rab Chaim comes back to Rabbeinu Hananel's interpretation, and the question that he asked is, how can Rabbeinu Hananel equate the case of a box with vessels inside of it with a flying object, which is not an ohel at all? In the case of the box, it should protect the vessels inside of it because there's a tzamid seal on the bottom side because it's sealed, and then the top side, which is just a covering, so it's not a tzamid seal, but that's an ohel zaru 
Aruk because if there's a sufficient amount of space in this Kli, so it becomes an Ohel, and since it's moving, it's an Ohel Zaruk. So put the whole thing together, and it should not be the equivalent of a flying object, which is not an Ohel at all, but it should be like the case of Sheda Tevo Migdal, which is considered an Ohel Zaruk, and according to Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yehuda, that is a valid Ohel. So that was the question on Rabbi Nuchananel, why does he equate the two cases that seem different? So in the previous paragraph, Rab Chaim had answered that the case, according to Rabbi Nuchananel, is where the bottom side of the box is not glued. So there's no tzamid psil on the bottom side. Now, says Rab Chaim, using this conceptual distinction, we could give a different answer. Even if the bottom side is glued, so there is a tzamid psil. Now, on the top side, there's a covering, so that should be an ohel zaruk, but an ohel is only going to be a chatzitza, it blocks the tumah, but it can't protect the things inside of the box. That's the role of the tzamid pasil. We can't mix and match different types of protections. When the Torah said that the tzamid pasil protects inside of it, and an ohel is a barrier to protect the tumah from progressing, so that means an ohel can't work the way a tzamid pasil works. It can't protect the things inside of a container. An ohel has to work the way it's supposed to work. It has to be a barrier between the tumah and the objects. Now in this suggestion, we'd be trying to use the top side of the box, not as an ohel, but as a tzamid psil. Because by trying to say that it's an ohel zaruk, so it does have some status of an ohel, but it's clearly not an ohel that blocks the tumah from progressing further. Because for that halacha, it's no different than any flying object which is not considered an ohel. So all we mean by calling it an ohel zaruk is that it protects the contents inside the box, which is exactly the tzamid psil. So the ohel zaruk in this case is really another way of saying tzamid psil because it doesn't function as an ohel. But since it doesn't meet the criteria of a tzamid psil, so it can't be that, and trying to apply ohel zaruk in order to protect the contents of the box is is not going to work because it has to work as a real ohel, meaning that it has to block the tumah. It can't protect the inside of the box. So since the top side of the box is not able to be an ohel because it's the same thing as any flying object, so that's why Rabbeinu Hananel equates the case of this box, even though it's protecting the contents inside of it, with every other case of a flying object, which is not considered a valid ohel. And now Rab Chaim adds one final very brilliant point, which is even though in this case, the top of the box cannot protect the vessels inside because it's an ohel. Because as we just said, ohel cannot work if it's only protecting the things inside. But it is going to turn this whole box into a tzamid psil. So how does that work? Because the whole issue with this box is that it wasn't glued on top. So it's not considered fully enclosed. And in order to be tzamid psil, it has to be fully glued and enclosed. But once we say that it is considered an ohel, so that in turn means that it is considered an enclosed space. So that's going to kick back in the protection of tzamid psil. Because when the Torah said that even a box which is not glued, it's just shut, 
is still considered an ohel. So that doesn't mean that the protections of ohel apply in that case. It means that on a practical level, this is the definition of an ohel. So once we're considering this box, even though it's not glued to be an ohel, even if the protections of ohel are not going to apply in this specific situation, but it is considered a definition of an ohel, which is an enclosed space. So that could kick back in the protections of tzamid seal. So now, very brilliantly, Rab Chaim's found a way around the standard rule that in order to consider a container tzamid seal, it has to be sealed, not just shut. But in this case, Rab Chaim's found a loophole that if a container is shut, even though it's not sealed, so ordinarily it would not be considered tzamid seal. But since in this case it's considered an ohel, so now since the Torah defines this as an enclosed container, so that kicks back in also the leniencies of tzamid seal, even though it wasn't glued. So now, using this more conceptual approach, Rab Chaim returns to the Rambam and the Mefarish. The Rambam said that the issue of Sheda Tevo Migdal depends on whether it's considered Ohel Zaruk. And the Mefarish explained that the case of the Brisa with the vessels inside of the box depends on Ohel Zaruk. So again, the question Rab Chaim's been dealing with in this case is what's the difference between those cases and the clear-cut case of the Mishnah that any flying object is not considered an Ohel. So Rab Chaim's first approach was that there's a difference between the Mishnah, which is talking about things underneath the flying object, versus the case of the Rambam and the Mefarish, which are talking about things inside of the box. Now, says Rab Chaim, with this more conceptual approach, we could give a different explanation for the Rambam and the Mefarish. They hold that the Sheda Teva Umigdal, or the box with vessels, is going to protect the person or vessels inside of it because it's a Tzamid Pseel. But whether it's a Tzamid Pseel depends on whether whether it's an Ohel, which is the question of whether Ohel Zaruk is a valid Ohel. So if you hold that a moving Ohel is considered an Ohel, then this box is considered an Ohel, which kicks in the protection of Tzamid Pesil, as opposed to the other view that an Ohel Zaruk is not an Ohel, so then the box is not an Ohel, so then it does not create a protection of Tzamid Pesil. So that's why the Rambam and the Mefarish hold that these two cases, even though ultimately the protection comes from Tzamid Pesil, seal, but it depends on whether this is considered an ohel, which is the question of whether ohel zaruk is an ohel or not. So that's how the Gemara brings a proof from those two cases to the debate of Rebbe and Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yehuda, and it's different than the case of a flying object, which is not considered an ohel at all, because here we're dealing with whether this ohel kicks in the tzamid seal protection. And Rab Chaim points to the Rash Mishans in his commentary on Olos at the beginning of chapter 4, and in chapter 9, dealing with the Migdal and the Kaveris, which are these two big vessels. So the Rash makes the comment that if there's 40 saw, in other words, this is a very large vessel which qualifies as an Ohel, so then it sounds like it doesn't even need Samid seal. it doesn't need to be sealed, and just the fact that there's an Ohel is sufficient to protect whatever's inside of the bigger vessel. So Rab Chaim explains this, that the Rash doesn't mean that it's an actual Ohel, because it's not blind blocking the Tumah from moving forward. The Tumah goes up and below. It's only protecting what's inside the Migdal or the Kaveris. So that works like Tzamid Psil, but still it doesn't meet the criteria of Tzamid Psil. So this works exactly how Rab Chaim's been developing in the Rambam, that once something becomes an Ohel, so it has a covering on top which turns it into an Ohel, that's enough to kick in the Tzamid Psil, even if it's not sealed. Now, using this basic approach in paragraph 4, 
Rab Chaim resolves another question on the Rambam. Later on in Hilchus Tumas Meis, Perak Yerches Halacha Dalid, the Rambam writes, Migdal Habab Omid Pesach. If there's a large closet that's standing at the doorway, and there's an opening from the closet outside of the house, and there's Tuma inside of the closet, Habay is Tahor. The rest of the house is Tahor, because the Tuma doesn't travel from the closet into the rest of the house, because the door of the closet is facing outside. But if there's Tumah in the house, so then the Rambam rules Masha Besocho Tameh, whatever's in the closet is also Tameh. Shaharehu Pasuach Besocha Pesach, V'derech HaTumah Latzeis V'indarka Lehikaneis. Because the closet is open into the doorway, and there's a rule of Sof Tumah Latzeis, that even if something is not under the same roof as the Tumah, but eventually the Tumah is going to travel in that location, so it's also Tameh. We look at the root the Tumah is going to have to take in order to leave the house, so how the body is going to travel out of the house, and anything on the root is also Tameh. So in this case, because the Tumah is going to come out of the doorway, whatever's in the closet in the doorway is also Tameh. So Rab Chaim asks on the language of the Rambam, why in the second case where the objects in the closet are Tameh, because the Tumah is going to travel through this place, why does the Rambam add in because the closet is open inside the doorway. It has nothing to do with that. Even if the opening of the closet was outside of the doorway, it should still be Tameh because the Tumah is going to pass by the closet. So why does the Rambam add in this unnecessary phrase that because there's an opening from the closet in the doorway, that's why it becomes Tameh because of Sof Tumalatzeis. So to answer this, Rab Chaim asks another very powerful question, which is how do we even invoke the rule of Sof Tumalatzeis in the case of a closet? Sof Tumalatzeis is only a rule when it comes to Ohel, that in general a barrier breaks the Tumah from traveling further, but if the body is going to travel out in that direction, so it's still Tameh and it overcomes the protection of Ohel. But Sof Tumalatzeis has nothing to do with Tzamid Psil. If the container is sealed and it's protected from Tzamid Psil, so it doesn't matter if Sof Tumalatzeis in that direction. The Tzamid Psil is still going to protect whatever's in that sealed container. So the Migdal is protecting what's inside of it, not from Ohel, but because of Tzamid Psil. So who cares if it's Sof Tumalatzeis through that doorway? In addition, says Rab Chaim, Sof Tumalatzeis only overcomes the protection of Ohel because as he explained in Ohel protects the place that it's a barrier for because it prevents the Tumah from traveling further. It's a chatzitza, a wall to stop the Tumah from traveling into that place. So that's why Sof Tumalatzeis overcomes that protection because if the body itself is going to travel out this way, so we consider it Tameh. But in the case of Tzamid Pesil, which as we said, is not a protection on a place. It's a protection on what's in the container. So the route that the body is going to travel is irrelevant to Tzamid Pasil. It can't overcome that protection because it's not protecting a place. It's protecting a container and the body's not going to go through that container. So basically, Sof Tumalatzeis shouldn't even affect whatever's in a sealed container in any way. So now this Migdal seems to be a large wooden box, which should have the rule of Tzamid 
Kalid Pisil, as Rab Chaim quoted earlier from the Mishnah in Kalim in the 10th chapter, that large wooden boxes have the rules of Tzamid Pisil, which should be exactly this case of Migdal, in which case the Sof Tumalatzes, the route that the body's going to travel next to the container, shouldn't make any difference. And in fact, Rab Chaim quotes that the Rash in his commentary to that Mishnah actually has a different version, and in his Girsa it says that if there's Tuma in the house, whatever's in the closet is Tahor, precisely as Rab Chaim's saying, because even if you could say that the Sof Tuma Lutzes makes the Migdal Tame because it's no longer an Ohel, but whatever's in it should still be Tahor because of Tzamid Pesil. So that's why the Rosh's Girsa says that it's Tahor. But the Rambam obviously had a different Girsa where it said that in that case it's Tameh, and that's how he rules in the Mishnah Torah. So how do we explain, according to the Rambam, why the Sof Tumalatzes negates the protection of Tzamid Psil that the wooden closet should have? Says Rab Chaim, according to his approach to explain Rabbeinu Hananel's interpretation of the Gemara, so this is also going to make sense. The case of the closet is where it's not glued shut, it's just closed, so that's why it doesn't have tzamid psil. What would protect the contents of the closet is if it was considered an ohel, but since in this case it's sof tomalatzes, that negates the ohel, so that's why everything in the closet becomes tameh. Now, using this insight, Rab Chaim circles back to his question on the Rambam, which was, why does the Rambam insist that this case it would only be tameh if the opening of the closet is in the doorway, not if it was outside of the doorway? Says Rab Chaim, based on his whole approach, this is going to make sense because the Rambam is bothered by an additional problem here, which is even though the Sof Tumalatzes negates the protection of Ohel, but the fact that this closet is considered an Ohel should kick in the protection of Tzamid Psil. And once there's the protection of Tzamid Psil, that should protect even against Sof Tumalatzes. As Rab Chaim said, that Sof Tumalatzes doesn't affect Tzamid Psil. So even if this closet is not not glued shut, so it doesn't technically meet the criteria of Tzamid Pasil, but since it's an Ohel, because it's closed, so that should re-kick in the Tzamid Pasil, and Sof Tumalatzes shouldn't affect it, so it should still become Tahar. That was the Rambam's question. So the Rambam answered, the case here is referring to when there's an opening from the closet in the doorway, and since the body is going to travel through that doorway, the Tuma permeates throughout that doorway and it goes into the closet through the opening. So that's why everything in the closet is Tameh. So according to Rab Chaim, that's why the Rambam added in this criteria that there has to be an opening from the closet within the doorway because otherwise, even though it's not a sealed container, since it's closed and it becomes an Ohel, that would activate the Tzamid seal protection and it would not be Tameh just because of Sof Tumalatzes. So it has to be a combination of the Sof Tumalatzes along with a hole from which the Tuma can go into the closet and that's why everything in the closet becomes Tameh. So this is evidence for Rab Chaim's approach in the Rambam that even if a container doesn't meet the criteria of Tzamid Pasil because it's not glued shut but if it's closed and it's large enough to be considered an Ohel so that will reactivate the Tzamid Pasil which supports very nicely Rab Chaim's whole approach that according to the Rambam a moving box with someone in it, whether or not it protects them is going to depend on the issue of Ohel Zaruk. Because if it's considered an Ohel, then it activates the Tzamid Psil. But if it's not an Ohel, then there is no Tzamid Psil. But it's different from the case of a flying object 
aspect where everyone holds that it's not an ohel for whatever's underneath it because since it's just flying through the air, it's not considered covering the things beneath it. Now, in the final paragraph, Rab Chaim points out that his whole interpretation of the Rambam, that the Rambam's case in the Halacha is talking about where the box is closed on all sides, even if it's not glued, but there is a cover on top of it. So that's different from the case in the Gemara, which is certainly referring to a box which is open on top. Because the Gemara raises the issue regarding this case, whether there was an independent tuma on the airspace, or it's only because the person is in Ohel on top of the Chutzla Aretz land. Now, the independent tuma of the airspace is only relevant if it's an open box, so some of the chutzla or its air goes into the box. But if it's a totally enclosed box, so then it doesn't matter if there's an independent tuma on the airspace, because none of the chutzla or its air got into the box. So the way the Gemara sets up this issue, it's clear that the case the Gemara is talking about is where the box is open on top. So it must be that the box is not actually in motion, it's resting at that point, because if it's a box in motion that's not totally enclosed, so that would be the exact equivalent of the case in the Mishnah of a flying object, and everyone should agree that it's not considered an ohel. So according to the Gemara that the box is open, it must be that it's resting, whereas the Rambam changed the case to refer to a moving box, so that's why the case in the Rambam is talking about an enclosed box. So this is a little unusual for the Rambam to change the case of the Gemara. Generally, the Rambam records the case of the Gemara along with the Halacha, and he doesn't change the case when he's recording it. So Rab Chaim answers that in this case, there's a specific reason why the Rambam changes the case of the Gemara. Because the Gemara never resolves the issue as to whether there's an independent Tumah on the Avir, or it's only because of Gusha because the person is over the land of Chutzla Aretz. So that's why the Gemara has to keep discussing the case of an open box because it's possible that the Tumah comes through the air and not because of the Ohel over the land. Whereas the Rambam did resolve this issue in his Halachas, he rules explicitly that there is independent Tumah on the airspace. So according to the Rambam, the only possibility of someone going into Chutzla Aretz in a box where they don't become Tameh is only if it's an enclosed box. So that's why when the Rambam rules on the final case, he follows his other ruling that there is Tumas Avir, independent from Ohel. So therefore, the case of the box, that's Tahor, must be where the box is fully enclosed. Once the box is fully enclosed, so that distinguishes it from the case of a flying object, which is not an Ohel at all. So that's why the Rambam can rule that this case is moving through the air, and it's still Tahor because it's an enclosed box, as Rab Chaim's been explaining throughout, that the Ohel re-kicks in the Tzamid Pesil. So this explains why the Rambam changed the case of the Gemara because he understood that the case in the Gemara was talking about an open box only because the Gemara was unresolved on whether there's separate Tumah on the air. But once the Rambam resolved that issue and ruled that there is, so then he could subtly change the case of the box and say that it's talking about a closed box and that allows him to say that we're talking about an actual moving box. And Rab Chaim concludes by referencing that some of the classic commentators on the Rambam already noticed some of these ideas. So the Lechem Mishnah in Hilchus Nazirus Parag Zayin raises a question which is similar to some that Rab Chaim asked, which is the Rambam's whole ruling that the case of Sheda Tevo Migdal depends on the issue of Ohel Zaruk 
only works in the Gemara's framework if it's Mishum Gusha, if the problem with being in the air of Chutz La'aretz is because the person is in Ohel over the land. So then we can debate whether Ohel Zaruk is in Ohel or not and whether the box protects them. But the Rambam rules Mishum Avira, that there's independent Tuma on the air. So it seems irrelevant whether the box is in Ohel or not. So the Lecha Mishnah asks that the Rambam's setup of the issue of Sheda Tevo Migdal seems to contradict the Gemara's framework that if it's Mishumavira, then it doesn't matter anymore whether this is an Ohel. So Rab Chaim answers based on his approach that the Gemara is talking about an open box. So in that case, it's true that if it's Mishumavira, then it's not going to matter whether it's an Ohel because it's an open box. But the Rambam recreated the case of the Gemara. He subtly changed it to be referring to a closed box. So in that case, the issue of Ohel Zaruk is relevant even if you hold Mishumavira. So this is how the Rambam subtly changed the case because he rules practically that there is independent Tuma on the airspace. And Rab Chaim quotes at the Mishnah Melech in Hilchus Tumas writes some of these ideas as well. So this is Rab Chaim's very brilliant explanation of a difficult Rambam and a difficult topic. The key conceptual idea that Rab Chaim formulates is this distinction between how an Ohel protects versus Tzamid Pesil. That an Ohel blocks the Tumah from continuing into further areas, whereas Tzamid Pesil does not block the Tumah, but it protects whatever's inside of the container. And then Rab Chaim adds that even though Tzamid Pesil generally requires a sealed box, not just closed, but if it can qualify as an ohel, then even though an ohel doesn't protect the contents inside the box, but it can at least activate the tzamid seal protection. So this is Rab Chaim's whole brilliant framework to explain the Rambam. Second, Rab Chaim develops a distinction between an ohel zaruk versus just a flying object. A flying object is not considered a covering at all, as opposed to an ohel zaruk, which is considered an ohel. It does cover the things under it, but it's a deficient Ohel. So that's why even though it doesn't block the Tumah from continuing, but it does permeate the Tumah throughout whatever's under it, as opposed to a flying object, which is not considered a covering at all, where it doesn't even permeate the Tumah throughout. And Rab Chaim added that based on that, the objects which are inside the box, which is flying, are going to depend on the issue of Ohel Zaruk, even though it's a flying object, because the flying object is not an ohel at all for things under it, but the things inside of it, which are part of a stable enclosed box, are included under the debate of ohel zaruk. So those are two very important frameworks that Reb Chaim develops. Now, for clarity's sake, because this is a long, complicated piece, I'm going to just summarize the three approaches Reb Chaim suggests to explain the Rambam. The question is that the Rambam rules a moving box is considered an ohel because an ohel zaruk is a valid ohel. And that contradicts the ruling of the Mishnah that a flying object is not considered an Ohel because it's just moving through the air. So Rab Chaim suggests three possibilities. The first is that the Rambam is talking not about a moving object, but a hovering object. So it is in the air, it's not resting on something, but it's not moving, it's hovering in place. And that's where the Rambam holds that it's considered an Ohel, whereas the Mishnah is talking about an actual moving object. The second solution Rab Chaim suggests 
suggests is there's a difference between things which are underneath the moving object, which are not considered to be covered, versus things which are inside of the moving object, where even though it's moving, it's still considered an ohel, it's just a deficient ohel because it's moving. So that's the second approach that the Rambam distinguishes between things underneath the moving object versus things inside of the moving object. The third approach is that the Rambam holds even though it's not an ohel, but it could activate the tzamid pasil protection. So even though a moving object is not going to protect the things inside of it or on top of it because of an ohel, but since it is practically considered an ohel, even though it doesn't have the halachic protections of an ohel, but once it's considered an ohel, that activates the tzamid pasil and that protection works even though it's a moving object. So those are the three possible solutions for the Rambam. And the third one is based on this very important conceptual framework that Rab Chaim develops, and that seems to be the one that he sides with. Now, there is a practical ramification to this whole discussion of Rab Chaim. Rab Shlomo Zalman Arbach in his Chuvis Minchas Shlomo Chelek Aleph at the end of Simon Ayin Beis discusses a very common issue of a Kohen being in a hospital because people die in the building. So there's an issue that he's in a building with dead bodies. And as part of his discussion, he gets into the issue of Ohel Zaruk, and Rab Shlomo Zalman makes the comment that if a body is being wheeled in a coffin, so he doesn't think that would be an Ohel Zaruk, he thinks everyone would agree that that's a valid Ohel, because the whole case of Ohel Zaruk is when the moving box is going over a dead body, and there's a person or kalim on top or inside of the box. So then the Gemara raises the issue of whether an Ohel Zaruk is a valid Ohel. But if the dead body itself is in the box which is moving. So there he thinks that it would be considered an ohel. And then he points out that Rab Chaim in this piece disagrees with that assumption because Rab Chaim is saying that even if the tumma and the objects are inside of the moving box, that would still be considered part of the whole debate of ohel zaruk.